was walking up the East Coast Sea, I saw a big city there in front of me. So many lights and shiver up my spine, I sure had a pretty skyline. Hey friend, what's that town called? New York City. Good day, everybody. It's Gary Fielder from Denver, Colorado, here on our podcast for the next episode to set the foundation for what we've been talking about. And I know we're a little in, in a little bit of a swamp, but it'll all make sense by the end of this episode. Now, of course, this is just on the pile of uh, other media and podcasts and news sources and opinion statements that are out there. We make these clips, they're about 45 minutes long, and we're not a news program. Our podcasts are delayed for, you know, to get them edited to some degree for about a week or so. And uh, I can't stay abreast of, of everything that's topical because things move so quickly. Isn't it amazing that, that in that regard of news and information, that even when you listen to your favorite news program, whatever that might be, the next day, you already know everything that they're talking about on your favorite news program to the point of it almost being boring because it's already 24 hours old. So, so what we try to do is we try to first build a common foundation of some of the basic topics that we all have to understand every second of every day as you're interacting with yourself, which is the most important thing, your friends, your family, your living room, your kitchen, your public sidewalk, your car, your roadway, your work, your court systems, your school systems, your voting systems, all those things that you're interacting with. Well, there has to be a foundation to that. And if you don't understand the foundation of that, well, all of that rest, all of the stuff that's out there is all just kind of malarkey. It's all just kind of BS. So if you can understand the foundation of what's happening, well, then everything that you do thereafter can make sense against that backdrop. So we've been spending some time on the initial episodes talking about a couple of things. We're going to review that and then move on to the next topic because ultimately there are four topics that you must understand. Number one, who are you? Well, you're a free and autonomous being. You might be God. You might be a lowly sinner. That's up to you. But you are a free and autonomous being. And if you are not free and you are not autonomous, somebody, something, some person is violating your human rights. We're not talking about constitutional rights. We're not talking about being a citizen of the United States. We're talking about being a human being. Now, if you're in a concentration camp in China, your rights are being violated. That's beyond any question. Those, those humans are having their rights violated, and we should be doing something about that. Our episodes are humbly not about that, but obviously those people, those, those persons, those humans, Free their the rights. What's that? Free the Uyghurs. That's right. I mean, there's a whole thing about that. And, and, and we could get into almost every region in the world and just point out the gross injustices that are everywhere and the violation of people's human rights. I'll give you a, a, a good story. One time I was in court in Denver and it was just, you know, the dock, it was so busy and there was just dozens of people there. There might've been a hundred people there. I mean, there were prisoners and there's DAs and there's criminal defense attorneys. The, 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 the crowd was full and there's just people everywhere. Well, there was an Ethiopian uh, interpreter and he was standing there waiting for one of his clients to, you know, to come out and, and he was going to interpret. And um, so we're just standing there ch chatting, and I don't really know anything about Ethiopia, but, but because I had met some people before, I understood that many people that come to America are from Atria, 
And, and, and they're really not from Ethiopia. They're, they're from Atria. But when they get here, they just say they're from Ethiopia because everybody knows where Ethiopia is and nobody knows where Atria is. So, you know, I, and I start talking to him and, and then I mentioned that. I say, are you from Atria? And his face just lightened up. He says, oh, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm from Atria. You know, so we really start talking and connecting. And, well, he started telling me this story about how he was involved in the Civil War and how he had been taken captive and how he had been held in a prison for like five years. And, and it was just the most amazing story as we sat there in this busy courtroom with all of this you know, human trafficking going on. And I'm talking to this interpreter and he had lived this experience of being in a prison cell in a foreign land and coming to America and getting his citizenship and then working within the system as an interpreter. I mean, Everything that I've seen over the last 32 years as a criminal defense attorney and for 18 months as a prosecutor has really opened my eyes up to this entire concept of human rights, human dignity, sovereignty, and all of it. So that's my backdrop. I'm coming from the experience of having seen it, not at every level, not at every level. I haven't been in a prison cell. I've visited many prisons and visited many clients in prisons, seen the insides of prisons, but I've never sat in a prison cell. But if you are in a prison cell, you are a free and autonomous being. You should have enough room to stretch your arms up and out. You should have the freedom to um, worship in the way that you wish. And although your voice may not be heard in the way that you wish it was, you still have a freedom of speech, even in that prison cell. And there are many innocent people in prison. And of course that's wrong and we must do everything that we can to avoid that. But generally speaking, if you're in a prison cell, you likely did something that allowed the population of which you were a part of to pass laws against, and you were likely given due process and right to counsel. And although you must be treated with dignity and respect at all times, you must take responsibility for the fact that you're sitting in a prison cell with the understanding that there are many gross injustices out there. But as you sit there in that prison cell, maybe you lost your right to vote and that's what these episodes are all about. Maybe because of that behavior you engaged in, you lost your right to vote. But you didn't give up your right to be treated fairly, to get due process, right to counsel, right to remain silent, right to have a jury upon the charges that were brought to you. Most people plea bargain. I've only done some 450, maybe close to 500 jury trials. I wouldn't know. But yeah, I've been there. I've seen it. I do it. I plea bargain lots of cases. Sometimes it's in a person's best interest to take the plea. But when they do, they waive all those rights. And when you plead guilty, you plead guilty. So the purpose of these episodes are to speak to citizens of the United States. And if you're in a prison cell and you're a citizen of the United States, this podcast is for you even though you may have waived your right to vote because of the you know, felonious nature of your conduct, because most states have laws against felons voting, not all. I think Florida's about ready to pass a law allowing people to vote as felons. I'm not quite up to date on that, but that's up to each state. All I'm saying is, in the end, every human being is a free and autonomous being. And if they're not being allowed to be, and even if you're in prison, you're free and autonomous. And if there's something that's happening there that's not supporting that, then that can be changed through due process. So that's number one. That's what you are. Number two, who are you? Well, everyone can listen to this podcast. I don't care. We're all con. We're all looking through. We're all just piling all this information. But the focus is towards citizens of the United States. So, like I said, if you're in a prison cell and you're a citizen of the United States, well, you're still a citizen of the United States. Even in that prison cell, you hold the sovereignty. And that's what we talked about on the other episodes, that if you are a free and autonomous being, 
and you are a citizen of the United States, well, then you hold the sovereignty in your heart, whether you can vote or not. It's not just the rights that you have as every person, including corporations have, because persons have rights and persons are LLCs and corporations and associations. They all have rights. Every person in the law has rights. Most of our rights are in those category of rights. But very few people on this earth can say they hold the sovereignty in their heart. Very few. It's up to the country to determine that. Now, all countries should do that. Some don't, but I'm not here to talk about that because we already do, so we don't have to talk about that subject of whether countries should or shouldn't vest the people with the sovereignty because ours already does. So we can just move on from that topic and get right down to it. Now that limits the category of the people to whom I'm talking to citizens of the United States, but others can listen if they want. But if you, as the listener, are a free and autonomous being and a citizen of the United States from wherever you are, even your prison cell, you hold the sovereignty of the most powerful country in the world in your heart. And that's the bottom line. Now, one day on episode 46 or 97, we'll get deep into Dred Scott and we'll really talk about Dred Scott and we'll really talk about the Civil War and we'll really talk about the 14th Amendment and we'll really talk about federal citizenship and how after the Civil War, the 14th Amendment sort of created a federal citizenship. And that was to ensure that people, people of African-American descent were given citizenship. And it wasn't up to the states. It was the 14th Amendment. Well, there are those that believe that that was a limitation in sovereignty. That if you were a so-called 14th Amendment citizen, well, that was a person and, and you don't have the sovereignty. Whatever the case may be and whatever has happened in the last 150 years since the passage of the 14th Amendment, as we sit here now, if you are a citizen of the United States, you are one of the people of the United States. And I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't want to hear anything about it. If you are a so-called 14th Amendment citizen and you were born here, now maybe your parents were on vacation and maybe they're French and maybe you were born here and then taken back to France and you're a French citizen. I don't want to get off on the edges, okay? Maybe your parents illegally immigrated here and they had no status, but you were born here. You hold the sovereignty in your heart. Now, if they took you back and then you establish your, your citizenship wherever that was, Sweden or, or Mexico or Canada, wherever that was, well then, oh, okay, I'm sorry. You gave it up. You waived it when you were like three years old. I'm not talking about the outer fringes, but if you were born here and there's a birth certificate and you stayed here and you went to junior high school and you got a social security card and then you got a driver's license and then you voted and then you could prove your citizenship because you got your birth certificate, well, then you hold the sovereignty of this great country in your heart. And whether you lost your right to vote because you engaged in some felonious behavior well, that's a different issue entirely. But if you are a citizen of the United States, every morning you wake up and every human being goes to sleep and wakes up, whatever calendar they're on, whatever night, day they sleep, every human being goes to sleep and wakes up and goes to sleep and wakes up and goes to sleep and wakes up and goes to sleep and wakes up. Your whole life is, is going to sleep and waking up. When you wake up, wherever it is, However it is, and whomever you are, 
If you are a citizen of the United States, you hold the sovereignty of this country in your heart. Now, the last time we talked about sort of transferring that to some personage if you walked out into the street or if you took a job to a private company, maybe you give up some of your sovereign rights. Well, you're always the sovereign, no matter what. I want to make that clear. You're always the sovereign. Now, there's nothing that stops Queen Elizabeth from going down and getting a job at McDonald's. Think about that. If Queen Elizabeth wants to walk right out and work at McDonald's, that's that's her right. She has a right. Everybody has a right. She's the, she's the sovereign. She could do whatever she wants. The, the sovereign can participate in Social Security if they would like. They probably don't have to because they've already got a dowry, but if they want to, they could. The, 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 the sovereign typically has a driver when they travel. There's nothing that stops the king or the queen from going down and getting a driver's license. You don't waive any of your sovereignty by engaging in those public activities. But when you engage in those public activities, you do at least agree to waive or otherwise, with knowledge, restrict your power. For example, if you were the king traveling to Jerusalem, well, you would put your crown in the box and you want to have your box behind you. You know, you'd be riding on your horse, right? Well, you're still the sovereign on the path to Jerusalem, but you're away from your kingdom. And now you're on the public road. So you have to mind the rights of all others. Imagine going to a conference of other sovereigns and all these kings and queens appears, not the princes, not the, not the earls, not the dukes, just all the kings and queens. They had a big party in Jerusalem and they were all there and they're all drinking and they're all sovereigns. Well, they all have rights. They're all kings and queens. I'm going to wave my arms around because I have a right and no one can stop me. And I'm going to say whatever I want because I'm a sovereign and I'm at the sovereign conference. Well, my, white, my right to wave my arms ends where another sovereign's nose begins. Tell me I'm wrong. So even if I'm the king, and even if I can wave my arms and say whatever I want, my right to wave my arms ends where another sovereign's nose begins. So when you go down to America, and you see millions of sovereigns, what do you do with all those people? Well, they all have rights. Each one of them has rights. Now, they, we all have those personage rights, but when you're the sovereign and you're on your property, you basically have all of your sovereign rights. Now, we've all come through this process where Municipalities, police departments, states, counties have sort of learned how to invade those rights. Socially, we've evolved, for example, in the area of domestic violence. I was a district attorney in 1990, 91. I saw it. I understood when that was all changing from basically ignoring that whole issue of domestic violence because it was what? Well, it was in people's homes. It, it was their business. Nobody wanted to deal with it. Nobody wanted to talk about it. Well, that was wrong. That was totally wrong. And having engaged in multiple jury trials and thousands of clients in that regard, I've heard all the experts, I've read all the literature, and I understand the cycle of abuse. I understand how wrong domestic violence is. I understand how rightful the state has an interest based on probable cause to maybe enter a person's home and extract them and arrest them and imprison them for their violence. But that doesn't mean that that person is not sovereign. It just means that the people gathered in their legislatures and they passed laws and the executive through their police officers made the arrest even on private property and took them inside a judicial system and maybe even put them in a cage, which is horrible. But it was all due process. It was all fair process. I'm not speaking about other countries. Remember, we limited it to the citizens of the United States. And each state does it differently. And I'm sure, you know, having spent 
I was born in Austin, Texas. I kind of grew up in Austin before I moved to Alaska. You know, I went back to UT. I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin. I've spent some time in the South. I'm not making any statements about the South, but you can just generally think that there is some injustice that has certainly historically been proven beyond any shadow of a doubt. Uh, there's been multitudes of injustices that have happened all over the country, not in just the South, but, but everywhere. But, but yes, our country has always been growing in that regard to treat people fairly. And we're still moving in that direction. And we really need I've been there for 32 years. We need to take a full reassessment of our criminal justice system. But generally speaking, it's the fairest in the world. Generally speaking, to be able to go out and get a lawyer and interact with the government, with your lawyer, and have the right to remain silent, and have the right to issue subpoenas, and get your own private investigator I don't understand why people don't exercise their private rights more than their public rights. For example, if you're the, the, the victim of crime, well, you look to the police to solve that crime or, or uh, prosecute that person in court. Well, you could sue that person and you could get your own private investigator. Now, you may not be able to jail them, but you could sue them and you could get a judgment and you could get a restraining order. But we just depend upon these public processes to do it for us. So when the public comes and arrests people and tries to jail people, well, of course you have a right to counsel. Of course you have a right to a jury trial. See, your trial used to just be in front of the king or the queen or one of their appointed judges. The king couldn't do all the trials, so the king would appoint judges. The governor still appoints judges in that same sort of sovereign fashion, but we, the people, elect the governor to appoint the judge. In some states, people elect judges. So, do you see where I'm getting? The point is, no matter where you're at and what you're doing, if you're a citizen of the United States, and I don't want to get on the fringes of who could be excluded or who, who's in or who's out, if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely an obvious citizen of the United States. And I don't care about thinking about other people and what's inside their hearts. What's inside your heart is the sovereignty of the United States of America. A message from Save Our Suffrage. As you might remember, we were a 501c4 nonprofit organization, also doing business as Dominion Class Action which was founded by plaintiffs and supporters like you. I speak for the team when I say that we are proud to bring you the Fielder Principle Podcast and to share with you a message of peace, hope, and unity for the nation. It is all of our duties to respond to these attacks on our nation by peacefully advocating through the courts and legislatures for your constitutional right to vote, to organize grassroots activism, to peacefully defend every voter's civil rights, and to further educate and empower yourselves and every citizen of this great nation with the tools of justice and peace that each of us require to save our suffrage. We are extremely grateful for the continued support from you and so many other people who believe in working towards a fair and honest society where every vote is respected and treated equally under the law. Thank you for hanging in there with us. We will keep you posted as we continue this important work to save our suffrage and the work of Dominion Class Action. To all my fellow American heroes, the age of freedom has just begun. Be at peace. Thank you. Welcome to part two of our podcast. So... I want to make sure and clear up a couple of concepts before we move on and finish up for today. We're so close. First of all, people get freaked out by that word sovereign or sovereignty. You shouldn't get freaked out at all. This is not about being a sovereign citizen. I have represented people in federal court in jury trials that are so-called sovereign citizens. I'm sure we'll give other 
podcast on the so-called sovereign citizen movement, which I've studied and tracked and participated in to some degree and, and understand from interacting with individuals that are so-called sovereign citizens. I'm not talking about that at all. If some people want to get some land and they want to be left alone, then for goodness sakes, leave them alone. Just leave them alone. They take an old truck, they drive to town, they don't have a driver's license, they don't have a license plate because they live in some community. Maybe it's a religious-based community. They drive to town, they get some provisions, they drive back to their community. Just leave those people alone. That's what I would call a so-called sovereign citizen. Now, the government, through their means, as I was talking about, they find ways to interact. They arrest people or stop people when they travel to the town because they don't have a driver's license. And through that interaction, there's been lots of controversy and, and lots of uh, arguments about what their rights are to travel or to assemble or to worship or to be left alone or to not have to pay taxes or whatever. I am not talking about that at all whatsoever. I'm talking about the people in town because typically speaking, now, ironically, those so-called sovereign citizens, you think about the Amish now, they're sovereign, so-called sovereign citizens. They don't really talk about that, but they can vote. They don't have to vote, and many religious people don't vote because it's against their religion to participate in a, in a humanistic program such as elections. They don't vote. That's their right. But they can vote if they're otherwise qualified. They can vote. So that's sort of a different issue, and we'll be talking about that. But generally speaking, I'm talking about the people in town. I'm talking about you and me. I'm talking about your average... Josephine. I'm just the person that has a birth certificate, didn't send in any paperwork to revoke it, just has a driver's license. I drove for years without a driver's license. I talked to these police officers. I don't have to have a driver's license. I got ticket after ticket. I finally got a driver's license. You know, I just gave in. I've got a bar card. I've got a social security card. You know, my kids go to public school. I went to public school. You see what I mean? I'm talking about the people that participate in the system. I'm registered to vote. I've spoiled my ballot the last two presidential elections, but that was my personal choice, and I made sure and cut it up and put it into two waste baskets so that nobody could use it otherwise, but that was my right. But I'm otherwise registered to vote, and you can look it up. So we all have our individual capacity through which we express our sovereignty and if we're citizens of the United States, whatever form that comes in, that's a lot of power. And the reason I'm giving this speech is because if you understood that power, then you would wake up every day knowing that you have that power. And although you've given a lot of it away, the right to declare war, the right to coin money, the right to pass legislation. As I've said many times, you can pass legislation on your own property you can go out into the public sphere, send your kids to public school, get a marriage license, but you don't have to. You can have a private ceremony. You can put your, your names in a Bible. You're married. You can create your own marriage certificate. You can get your own divorce. You can have your own private agreement and, and divorce in a private side ceremony. You don't have to engage in the public arena, and that's the the purpose of this episode. If you know who you are, which is a free and autonomous being, and you know what you are, and for purposes of these episodes, I'm speaking to citizens of the United States. I'm not really speaking to those who have expatriated or, or are from Nigeria or from El Salvador or from China. Uh, if you're from Nigeria and you found yourself in Mongolia, I love you. You can listen to this podcast, but I'm not really speaking to you because I don't know who you are and I don't know the laws of Mongolia and I don't know what your rights are. I'm speaking 
to citizens of the United States. And no matter what happened between the 14th Amendment and now, the citizens of the United States are the people of the United States. You cannot tell me that only those sovereign citizens are the people, or there are no people. That would be the other alternative. There are no people. We're all just subjects working under the 14th Amendment, and we've all waived our citizenship through birth certificates and, and all of this uh, voluntary consent, and we've all become subjects in Social Security numbers. No. We all have beating hearts. When we breathe into a mirror, there's a fog. We can put a line through it. We're human beings and citizens of the United States of all genders, of all ages, of all races or cultures. They're the sovereigns. You can't tell me they're not the people of the United States. And it's on the SAT. Where's the sovereignty of the United States? Who holds it? And it doesn't even have to be the people. It could be a king. It could be a parliament. It could be a family. But we choose to vest that sovereignty in the people. Now, again, we'll talk about Dred Scott and the 14th Amendment in future episodes, but I don't want to hear anything about African Americans not being sovereign. Of course, every African American in America, United States citizen, holds the sovereignty in their heart. But I feel like a lot of people don't understand that. I feel like if people did understand that, they would understand their duty and responsibility. And that's where I was kind of rambling in the lap, last episode and I kind of I had to end it because I was just getting in too deep. But when we talk about sovereignty, we're not talking about privileges. We're not talking about a crown and jewels and our rights. We're talking about duty and responsibility. And every time you wake up and you realize, oh shoot, I'm the sovereign. I gotta, I've got a duty to support my country. I've got a duty to interact with others and I can wave my arms, but that right ends where another person's nose begins, that other sovereign. I can't hurt that other person. I can't steal that other person's property. I can regulate my own property on my property. I can't violate the rights of my spouse. And if there's probable cause that I did, then I live voluntarily in a state where there are laws which allow law enforcement to come onto my private property and put handcuffs on me and take me to a jail cell and then I see the judge in the morning. It doesn't sound like the king would be arrested in such a manner, but we've all passed laws as the separate kings. It would be better if you didn't engage in that behavior. And if you've been falsely accused, and I've seen that multiple times, I've won in fact, I just won a jury trial in Elbert County not two weeks ago, not guilty. Now, I didn't know if they were false allegations. They appeared to be. The jury had reasonable doubt, and the kid was found not guilty. Well, that was when the system worked the way it was supposed to work. So, yes, there are innocent people that are in prison based on false allegations, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work is if really, honestly, you hurt your spouse, then yes, laws have been passed to allow law enforcement, maybe not to just enter right away, maybe they gotta get a warrant, maybe there's extensive circumstances, there's so many exceptions to the rights that we have. I deal with it every day, the extensive circumstances exception. You know, if someone's crying out, help me, help me, well, well, cops are coming through the door. You see what I mean? If it's been a couple of hours, well, maybe they have to knock and you have to voluntarily consent to let them in. Those are the areas on the periphery that I'm not really talking about. I'm just talking about your good old standard rights. So yes, you have all your rights, but then depending upon where you are, those rights might be different, and that's number three. Who are you? I'm a free and autonomous being. What are you? Well, you could be anybody, but I'm talking to citizens of the United States. They hold the sovereignty of the country in their heart. Question number three, where are you? Where are you? Well, if I'm on my private land, I'm pretty safe and secure. This is my castle. I could do something stupid to get the police to knock down my door, but as long as I'm just peaceful and law-abiding, 
I can read books by Malcolm X. I can worship to any God I want to worship. I can engage in any sexual behavior that I want to engage as long as I'm not harming others or possessing things that are otherwise illegal. And you know what I'm talking about. That's all illegal. Talk about cops busting down your door. They'll come right to it. You see what I'm saying? But otherwise, if it's within the bounds of human decency and reasonableness, I'm absolutely free in that property. If I'm just staying at a buddy's house and he's given me a little room, boy, when I close that door, that's my room. And I can think in any way I want to think. If I'm in my prison cell, if I'm in my prison cell, I can read books by Malcolm X. I can pray in any way I want. I can write letters. I can write letters to the editor. I could maybe, I'm not even sure, probably have a podcast from prison. But all I'm saying is that when you step onto the public land, well, you might be that traveling sovereign with the crown in the box, but you give up some of those rights. You can still wave your arms. But that right has limits. The public sidewalk is different than the private yard. And you could envision walking one foot on the public sidewalk and one foot in the yard. You're on public property, private property. But that homeowner could come out and say, hey, get off my yard. And you'd have to scamper back on the public, the public sidewalk. Well, as soon as you get on the public sidewalk, well, the cop behind you can say, Hey, what are you doing over there? <laughs> you see what I mean? You know, I jump back in the yard and say, I'm not doing anything, you know? So yeah, it's totally different. So you need to know where you're at, who you are, what you are, and where you're at. Because if you understand where you're at, then you'll understand your rights and you'll understand your obligations, not your privileges, your duties. So when you're on your private land, you really have very few duties. If you invite people in, you owe them a duty of care. If someone trespasses, you don't owe them any duty. Otherwise, if you invite someone in and you owe them a duty of care and you say, please leave now, they have to leave. And maybe they don't and you got to get into an altercation. That's where you call the lawyer the next day. That's what I always see. But, but in the end, if everybody understood their rights, then they would understand that when you're on someone else's property and they say, you must leave now, you must leave now. And, and if we understood those rights, then we would say, okay, I'm leaving. Leave me alone. Don't touch me. I'm leaving. And I've represented people in federal court who have shown up, Bruce Bauman, shown up to uh, events, stood up in the hall, yelled at the speaker. You know, Luke Radowski does that. He stands up, starts yelling at Kissinger. That's his absolute right. And you watch Luke when they say, sir, you must leave now. He starts to leave. He might be yelling all the way out, but he starts to leave and he leaves. Totally legal for him to be there. Totally legal for him to stand up and say, you know, 9 is an inside job, whatever they want to say. And then when the usher says, you have to leave now, well, a person that understood their duty would start moving to the aisle and walk up the aisle. You could still yell all the way but you have to leave. You're on private property. Well, if you're on public property, that might be a different issue. Think about those students that make all those noise in the back of the classroom when a conservative speaker wants to speak. Notice how nobody comes and carts them away <laughs> because they're in this school setting. Now they're doing it at private schools too, but that's the whole point. Your rights are a little different. When you go to public school, ironically, since you have all your rights, because it's a public school, well, then they can't teach you how to dress. You can, as long as it's within bounds of decency, they can't make you wear a uniform, you know? Um, I always tell my children that you ask to go to the bathroom, and the teacher says, no, you, you can't go to the bathroom. Well, why do they have that rule? Well, they have that rule because of other bad students that went to the bathroom and didn't come back or smoked a cigarette or whatever they did. So they say, you can't go to the bathroom. I teach all my children. When you have to go to the bathroom, that is your human right. You say, Ms. Johnson or Mr. Smith, I'm going to the bathroom. And you start walking toward that bathroom. 
that teacher can't touch you. And if that teacher touches you, then that child's rights are being violated. Now, most kids just sit there and they gotta pee because they don't know their rights. Most parents tell their children, well, when the teacher says don't go to the bathroom, then you just can't go to the bathroom. But I don't teach my children that. When you wanna go to the bathroom, I don't care if you're in a public school. Now, when you're in a private school, see how that flips? You would think, well, there's more rights in the private school. Well, there could be, there could be, okay, because it's private and they can set their own rules, but it's often where there's a more restrictive environment. That's where the uniforms come in or the religious ideology comes in in the private school. But there's a big difference between going to a private school and a public school. Sometimes they look the same and you don't understand the difference, but there's a complete difference. And when you go into the private school, well, you give up a little bit of your sovereignty because you've agreed, you've contracted. But when you're in the public school, those are sovereign students being taught by public servants. Don't ever forget that. That's why I object to Coach Bobby Knight. He never fully understood that. You look at Coach Knight, you just see him as a basketball coach. You think, well, he cussed a little bit. Oh, he threw a chair. I love that guy, he's such a great coach. No, Coach Knight coached at Army, and he coached at Indiana, and he coached at Texas Tech. Those are all public institutions. As such, he was a public servant. And as such, he should have acted accordingly, which means that public servants don't cuss. Public servants don't touch their players. Public servants don't headbutt their players. I love that guy personally, Coach Knight. And if I saw him, I'd say, Mr. Knight, Coach Knight. I would treat him with ultimate respect. But I disagree with his language and his activity, not because of it was right or wrong objectively, but he was a public servant at the University of Indiana. He's getting a pension right now because he's a public servant. Well, public servants are underneath the students. They don't think they're underneath the students, but they are. Now, the students have to be respectful and they have to follow the rules and they're all in there to learn and that's how we work it. But if we understood that, then when we sent our children up to that public school, they wouldn't be treated in the manner in which they're treated. And the parents would, would understand their roles just a little bit better. Who are you, what are you, and where are you? And if you're in a private setting and you're part of that private group, whether you're in that church or you're in that charter school or, or you're in that assembly of, of uh, scientists that might be atheists, I'm not saying that all private situations have to be religious. I'm just saying that if it's on the private side, well, you can ex certainly express yourself, but you can't sue for violation of your rights because private people can't violate your rights. You can't sue a private entity for violating your right to speak because although you have a right to speak, if they say, no, you can't speak here, well, that's a private school and they can set the rules. Now, why am I even talking like this? Well, let's go back to the lawsuit. Let's go back to Dominion class action. What are those people doing? And who are those people? Well, they're free and autonomous beings, the plaintiffs. They're citizens of the United States. They're registered to vote. Their vote to, for president was impacted by several persons. They went to a public courtroom to, expect, to express these grievances through public laws, and they've been told that they don't have standing. Well, what is voting if it isn't the ultimate expression of sovereignty. So who are we talking about? What are we talking about? And where are we? Well, we might be in a public school voting, but no, we go behind the curtain and we close the curtain and we fill out the ballot. We don't put our name on it and we submit it. Now, think about the old days where the king or the queen appointed not only the judges, but all the sheriffs and all the landlords and all the judges and all the administrators and all the chancellors. Well, that was their sovereign right to a 
appoint all of the king and queen's men and women. So when we do that through elections, it is the ultimate expression of private sovereignty. Now, we might be electing public officials, the public officials that we've either appointed or hired, you know, the public servants I was talking about. Their job is to run that election fairly. If there are private individuals, is it all starting to make sense now? When there are private individuals like Facebook that can't otherwise violate your constitutional rights, if they start voluntarily interacting in the public sector with regard to the electoral process, which is the ultimate expression of the sovereign, well then those private entities can violate rights and thus can be sued. So I'm not just rambling on incoherently for an hour. It all makes sense now. You're not only a free and autonomous being, you're a citizen of the United States, registered to vote. When you vote for president, that's a national election. Anybody messing with that right is violating your right. And if they're a private entity and they're not just advertising on TV or not just using corporate money to influence the population. That's all legal. That's called freedom. When they're interacting in joint action with the public function of elections, they're opening up themselves to liability for the violation of others' rights. And if I'm so stupid that I can't articulate it in a complaint to not only sustain a motion to dismiss, but to not be sanctioned as a frivolous lawyer, well, that doesn't mean you don't have the rights. That just means I'm stupid and I couldn't figure it out. Maybe someone else can. Maybe someone else can bring the lawsuit. But we're down to a point where this is kind of it. The public protesting isn't working. And that's one of our rights to assemble and speak. Canvassers in Colorado now are being sued by other entities for goodness knows what. We're going to talk about that during the next episode. So a person's sovereign right to go out, maybe in their personage, maybe in their public personage, walking down a public sidewalk, walking onto someone's private property and knocking on their door and asking them some questions about their, their vote. Well, a lot of those people in Colorado, we'll talk about this in the next episode, are being sued by other persons for God knows what, but for that conduct of knocking on people's doors. Well, we'll talk about that because those people who are knocking on doors need to understand what they are, who they are, where they are, and with whom they're interacting. That's the next episode. That's the last segment and against that backdrop, you can solve any dispute. Maybe there's injustice. Maybe innocent people get convicted. Maybe people get away with the violation of our rights all the time and we just never enforce them because we don't know how and the attorneys that try to do it are found to be frivolous. But it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work. What are you? Who are you? Where are you? And with whom are you interacting? Because if you understand that backdrop, well then you can solve any dispute. Where would you solve the dispute? Would you solve, would you solve the dispute on a roadway, in a park in front of your capital? on a battlefield, is that where you want to resolve your disputes? Out on that sidewalk? At your front door? You want to resolve that dispute at your front door with those canvassers? No, 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 of course. You go to court to resolve your disputes. You used to have to go to the king or the sheriff or, or, or you know, the landlord because you were just a subject. But now you go to court to resolve your disputes. Now it could be a public courtroom it could be private, you could, you could arbitrate, but it could be a public courtroom. But when you walk into that 
public courtroom, you're still the sovereign. And when you're registered to vote and your right to vote as that sovereign is being burdened in some substantial way that you can point to, then your rights are being violated. Your rights are being violated. So we have to come to grips with it because we essentially have three ways to enforce our rights. Public protest, peacefully, of course, through the um, process of elections, which we're obviously talking about not being fair. So if we don't have elections, how are we supposed to express our sovereignty or through enforcement of those rights in the courts? So that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. So when we come back to the next episode, we're going to talk about whom, with whom you're interacting. Because if you know who you are and you know what you are and you know where you're at, the next question is, well, who are you interacting with? Are you interacting with another sovereign? Are you interacting with just some corporation? A person, of course, a person. Are you interacting with a foreign entity? Are you interacting with a sovereign state? Are you interacting with a municipality? Because when that officer's pulled you over and starts asking for your ID, you're interacting with the city of Denver or the city of Lakewood or the city of Austin or the city of San Diego. Maybe it's a county sheriff. Well, now you're talking about the, the county of Weld. You need to know who you're interacting with. You know, when you go down and talk to the clerk and he's so rude to you or she's so rude to you. Well, why are you being rude to me? You're the public servant. Hey, Coach Knight, why are you touching me? Why are you cussing? You see, but with whom are you interacting? You think you're the king and because you're the coach, the players have to follow your orders. No, 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 no. Those players are all kings and queens on that bench and you are their servant and they are to be treated with respect. See, if he understood that, he would have never touched anybody. He would have never cussed in the way that he did. He could cuss at his house, but he would never cuss like that on TV. He would have never treated his players like that. But he didn't understand that and his players didn't understand it and their parents didn't understand that. But if they all understood it, none of that would have happened. His teams would have been better. So in the end, we're gonna talk about that the next episode. Thank you for hanging in there. And then once we resolve those four, then we're gonna start digging into these world problems that we can all solve within the context of that backdrop, the four elements. What are you? Who are you? Where are you? And with whom are you interacting? Hang in there, everybody. And we'll see you around the corner. Thank you. And it's there I'll stay and shall persist till the world sees this injustice. Power to the people I will lament. The bank should not run the government. Yeah, I better be prepared to stay there for a while.